Uh, hello, uh, and welcome to episode uh, six, part two of two, with um, with Ed Moores. Um, as you can see, uh, I am in this this lovely wooded setting, um, kind of as a, as a continuation of my little nomadic tour slash lifestyle. Um, I'm staying with my with my sister uh, up in up in Woodford, and she lives on. She's luckily just in in the kind of touching foot of uh, of Epping Forest. So I've got this this amazing space to kind of explore and to be in. So yeah, this is where this um this uh, this intro is coming to you from. And someone's put a lovely den behind me, which is beautiful. Um. So yeah, this 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 could be the this could be the the first of a few kind of wild podcasts, if you like, um, because as it happen as 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 I kind of speak to you now, um, I've applied for an Irish passport, um, and we're we're kind of well, we I am uh, am uh, going to be um, doing this kind of this kind of maybe like a touring podcast, you might say. So I'm going to be getting on my bike, heading down to the kind of yeah, southern roots of Portugal, um, and then from there I'm going to be sort of starting a, a kind of journey, a kind of yeah journey. I'm not quite sure where I'm going to go. I'm not quite sure where it's going to take me, but um, yeah, it's going to be documented and it's going to be um, you know hopefully punctuated by meeting some some really interesting people and yeah some people along the way. So yeah, this could be the first of a many kind of wild intro. So yeah, keep your keep your ears and eyes. Um, kind of, yeah, peeled out for that. So yeah, that's quite an exciting future thing. Um, yeah, this week this week was quite an interesting week, really. It was um, I I I found myself for the first time um, taking my diary out, which was quite strange, um, considering this lockdown period we've had of you know not planning or not necessarily meeting anybody. And just all of a sudden, it just came upon that it was like, oh, okay, right, we can actually do that kind of thing now. So. Uh, yeah, things are, are weirdly going back into kind of normal, which is, well, I don't know, it depends how you feel about the word normal, but yeah, I don't know, I, I quite preferred the kind of free, not quite knowing what's going to happen rather than the kind of the planning that's that's going ahead, but alas, you know, you've got to go with the flow, I suppose. Um, yeah, so this is part two with Ed, um, Hope you enjoyed part one. Um, again, he's just a you know he's, he's a very very got a very logical mind, a very very smart mind. Um, and yeah, we 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 in this part two we um, we drift and talk about um, talk because he him him and Jackie often go to TED talks. Um, so we talk about his experiences with them. We talk about um, this this concept of marginal gains, which is quite fascinating. And we also talk a little bit about data and privacy. And China's role in that, which, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure you heard the trailer, so I won't spoil any, any kind of other bits. Uh, and also, there's a, there's a bit about bangonomics, which again is a, it's a quite a, a beautiful concept. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoy uh, part two with Ed. Um, and yeah, I hope the, I hope life's treating you well. And uh, life's treating you kindly. And uh, yeah, enjoy the conversation. Thank you very much.
technology, man. Woof. The wonders of it. Yes, and the confusion. Um, <laughs> sorry for that, that little interlude. We we just went on a walk, uh, and Storm Kira came. Oh my good god! So that was that was something. That was a Storm Kira really came. I mean, so it, it's hilarious, right? So we came back in, absolutely drenched, and literally sodden down to the boxes. And now we look outside, and I don't see a single drop of rain. Honestly, it's like it's like fate knew that we're like, you know what? Like, we're going to get some fresh air, try to be good humans and go on a little walk. Sorry, right. What do you want? Oh, go for it. The interlude. Let's do a little... And we're back live on air with uh, Ed and Ryan. Um, where were we? Storm Kira. Storm Kira, yeah. So, as I say, we, we stepped outside for a night, probably good humans, go for a little Sunday afternoon walk, stretch our legs, get the blood flowing, and within 10 minutes, it was torrential. Uh, <laughs> continued our walk, though, like good humans. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. But, yeah, all, very, very all, all the clothes now are back in the dryer. Uh, or, or that were being worn because yeah you have to get home hopefully dry semi dry. Well, uh, provided the flight's still on, so uh, yeah, c- exactly continuously right. checking the phone. Um, I know there's been a few flights cancelled today, so fingers crossed. <laughs> um, yeah, you you go to a lot of TEDx's, don't you? Yeah, so you do I've a been lot of TEDxy things. I've been to three TEDx events and one TEDx workshop. Now the first. So the, the TEDx workshop we went to was in October last year. Now, this is really interesting. So um, what they did, so we've only been to the Newcastle ones, um, but the TEDx Newcastle was on a Saturday. And on the Friday, they decided to have a like a workshop. So they had four different workshops all going on at the same time, like three or four hours during the day on a Friday. Um, we happened to have the day off, which is great, so we are able to attend. And they had one that was on, um, so one was on, don't forget how to play creativity in adults. Oh, that's yeah. highly yeah. Yeah, okay. there was one that was on emotional intelligence. Fabulous. There was one on design thinking, um, and there was one that was on um, communication and technology. So all really pertinent, really interesting topics. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack went to the emotional intelligence one, um, and I went to the design thinking one. Um, mine was hosted by Accenture, which is like a really big multinational um, technology firm that's basically looking at how to bring emerging technologies into everyday life and, and sort of benefit people in a whole host of different ways. Um, one of the things they recently worked on was these glasses that people would wear at the the, the cinema, not cinema, sorry, the, um, the theatre. And usually, if you're hard of hearing and you want to enjoy the theatre, you have to look to the left or right to see the subtitles, to read what's going on. You miss what's going on in the middle of the screen. Um, so they provided these to a few of the theatres in the UK now where people can wear the glasses and the subtitles show up in augmented reality um, below the screen on their vision. Goodness me. So they can enjoy the show and, and, and read what's going on as well at the same time, which is great. They've got, they've got quite a few of these. I remember you saying before about these, this, this company and their like innovations. Yeah, um, so another thing that we saw, so these are the, both these things were the shown in before the actual TEDx event. Um, and they showed another one of JFK. So JFK had written, obviously, his speech that he was going to perform before he was assassinated. Um, and obviously the speech he never got to never got to read. 
and they had taken over 14,000 extracts of his voice because he had a very unique way of speaking to JFK. Um, And they were able to build up this speech to be spoken in the exact way that he would have spoken it using snippets of his voice from his previous speeches and recordings. Wow. And it was, honestly, you you put the headphones on and it sounded like exactly how he would have said this speech. The same inflections, the same tone, the same spacing between the words. Wow. It was phenomenally done, mm. um, which was really, really impressive. Um, they did other, they've done something recently, which we saw this October just gone, which was about athletes. Um, so instead of just performance tracking um, with regards to, I did this distance in this time on this day, um, people were logging a emotional report on how they felt it went, how they felt beforehand, how they felt afterwards. Brilliant. Um, so if, for example, someone said they were having a, a down day went for a run and their time was less than it usually would be that goes into filter into a report to not only monitor their like vitals but monitor how they were feeling and their emotional state because that can have a really big impact on athletes performance oh, wow um, so it was really interesting and they were using it for the olympic swim team really um, yeah, yeah to see if it can actually improve their results if they know when and how and what could impact their training it's 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 amazing the links that that these kind of t- teams behind the the like the athlete or the person or whatever go to to try and get them to enhance their performance, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's... absolutely. So, do you know about um, there's a there was a coach called Brailsford um, a few years back um, for the British cycling team. Now, the British cycling team never used to be anything anything much. Never used to win any awards. Would finish like seventh or eighth pretty consistently and never really got much attention. Um, I think it was David Brailsford, don't correct me on that if I'm wrong. Um, and he introduced this theory of marginal gains. Now, what he did was he said, right, let's forget about the end result. We're, never gonna, we're not winning now anyway, so let's not, think, let's not focus on winning. But what we should do is we should focus on each tiny element of what could improve our game and what we could do to improve it 1%. So he looked at, for example, he looked like the, the Lycra that they were wearing when they were doing when they were when they were cycling, looking at the shoes they were wearing, looking at the helmet shape, looking at um, the time of day they trained, looking at the meals they were having beforehand, all the tiny little components that made up the overall performance of the team. And how can we improve each of these areas by just 1%? Wow. So it, uh, one, of the, one of the ways we learn about this is from, there's a book called Atomic Habits. Um, and the author talks about this in there as well and shows that if you can improve each element of something overall by 1%, it'll make significant impacts through marginal gains. So if you improve 100 things, 1%, you're going to improve 100% technically. Right. And then the British cycling team went on to actually be like champion winners they won the Tour de France three times in a row yeah, after yeah. that mm. um, just through marginal gains not look, is, not this, is, is this the, re- the Chris Hoy um, uh, uh, Chris Hoy Chris Hoy uh, Wiggins is, is, this the, is this a recent thing or is this like this is the 2000s so 2000 so it could be, could be Bradley Wiggins and that like Chris Hoy because because yeah because actually thinking about it over the over, over the course of the time that I've known the English cycling team like they yeah, there was like a period. Yeah, Bradley of time. Wiggins. Yeah, 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 that's that's the guy. Yeah, so David Railsford was the coach. Really? Yeah, he was the coach during this time. David huh. Railsford, um, and wow. looking at all these marginal gains is what took them to victory. Because because literally they they came out of nowhere. They were just like, oh, okay, so now we're in gold in cycling. I was like, all oh, right, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it's because of marginal gains. Looking at each, so th- there's a there's a phrase that you can look. It's called times G, so T I M E S G, which is tiny improvements multiplied equal significant gains. Mm. Love an acronym. Love an acronym. Um, But yeah, so you look at all the tiny improvements you can make, add it all together, make significant gains. 
mm. um, which is a really way interesting way of looking at anything really yeah right um so looking at i don't know say for example you wanted to get up a little bit earlier every morning you look at not the end result of wanting to get up a little bit earlier but you look at all the things that could make that a little bit easier so putting out your clothes in the uh, the night time is a one percent um making sure that your coffee is already in the pot by the time you go to bed that's one percent and you add all these little things together to make the overall end result easier for you to achieve and you could you could, you could even stretch that to to like making making your before bedtime really relaxing and like so so just sort of like improving your sleep to then wake up really charged exactly yeah like so move the dim the lighting like you know mm-hmm. turn off the tv an extra five minutes earlier have mm. five minutes still in the living room without the tv on all this white light so how, how you can improve everything a tiny little bit can make the end result a lot easier Not without focusing games. on the result so mm. focus on the journey rather than the uh, destination yeah savas savas has um has given me some wise information like so, so for example he's like um I've, I've had this, this this like idea of like setting up a company of some sort and i get like w- like wrapped up in this whirl of like of like oh i could do that okay do that and then da, da, da. and sav like stripped it back and was like look, look, look just just like just like break it down so 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 start start from if you actually had the thing you were after so you know just say it was i want to make a cheese sandwich yeah and you've got nothing of, of the sort in the house so so it's like a scale back from and an what 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 are the steps you need to go to to get to that cheese sandwich? So it's like, okay, so I do that. I said before that, it'd be like getting the knife and then the bread. And then and then you, you like scale it back to literally where you are now. And then if you've got a visual representation of oh, this is what I can do, and then you're going along and like ticking, you know, being like, okay, so I've done that. I've done that. I've gone to the shop. I've chosen the bread. I've got the knife. I've got, you know, it it, it, it gives you an easier breakdown of, of like how to get there. Basically. Yeah, well, you'd, you'd never eat an elephant all at once. Oh, right, you yeah, take exactly. it bite by bite. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and there's also, so I remember I was speaking to a coach of mine not long ago, um, like a professional coach, and he was really? saying, yeah, so I've got this mentor at work that is a phenomenal coach, and he coaches me through quite a lot of things that come to like professional sense. He's okay. abs- absolutely fantastic. Mm. And one of the things that he said, um, he says, right, you need to, so you've got a process you need to follow. You need to make sure this, is, this project is delivered. And he said, if you woke up tomorrow and what you're trying to achieve was done, what would need to happen overnight? for it to be achieved All right. and that is essentially the same as breaking it down but it put it in a really simple term like well that would need to happen and that would need to happen and that would need to happen he's like right make a list and go mm-hmm. it's a really interesting way of looking at it yeah because um, if you look at the mammoth overall task you're going to get stuck in the whirlwind mm. you're going to get caught up in the the hows the what's the where's the why's but if you try and break it down to the granular level to the one percent it makes life a lot more manageable yeah absolutely yeah too right um what was the um you said you saw one ted talk and it was about education so the theme of the actual uh ted event itself was education in the 21st century mm. uh, which is a really interesting topic because if you look at the way that education is delivered within the uk it hasn't changed a whole lot in the grand scheme of things in the past sort of 20, 30, 40, 50 years or so. 60, 70, 80, yeah. much, I mean. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Industrial we, Revolution days, isn't yeah. it? Right? Not... Yeah. yeah, children have seen and not heard. Um, uh, literally. Which is really interesting because you look at the way the world is now and even in our lifetime, in the past sort of 15, 20 years, things are not the same. Things are accelerating in the same same pace as the industrial revolution mm. because do you know do you know just just quickly i just remembered a, a time when i when i was a little kid and um and uh we were on the bus somewhere my uncle 
And this lady said to me, she was like, because I was kicking the can down the stairs, I've been you know, pretty antisocial, annoying, whatever. And she looked at me and she was like, little children should be seen and not heard. And I was like, all right, okay, it's about eight or something. And then David said, Ryan, say goodbye to the old lady. And I went, eh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it, obviously, you know. Mm, yeah, of yeah. course. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Um, so yes, yeah, so I went to a TEDx talk, it would have been last year now. Um, and the whole whole theme of everything was about education. Um, and they had the the the, profe- the head professor of education of Newcastle University there, um, and Newcastle University is a school that leads a PGCE, um, and he sort of leads that that faculty. And some of his theories are really really interesting, and they received a lot of objection from a lot of mainstream boards because he said in the modern day world, if any any person goes out into a walk of life, goes into a job, goes into anything they're going to have the resources available to them that are available to them. So, for example, no one... You could go out to a cross-section of the UK now and 80% of people would have access to Google within 30 seconds. Right. It's in the pocket. Yeah. They're by a computer. They're in a library. There's a way of getting access to all this information. We are in what they call the information age mm-hmm. and we have access, ready access to it. Why not use that? So he was saying that it's unfair to expect kids to memorize discern and understand processes that they'd never really need to because they'd have it at their fingertips if they needed it so one thing that he did he went into these classrooms in gateshead um, and funded loads of extra computers going in kids having ipads all this wonderful stuff and he said right let's do it let's do a student-led lesson on research and understanding so he went into this classroom of i think they were like seven or eight year old sorry the sevens and eights um he said right i want you to go out and Give me a presentation in 45 minutes time, a 10 minute presentation about sedimentary rock formations. Hmm. And these kids came out with these presentations of learnings that were years ahead of what the curriculum would have taught them. Huh. So it's about, it was what year 11s, year 12s, year 13s were learning about sedimentary rock formations. Yeah, because they had the grasp of the internet at their fingertips. They were able to pull the information out of it that they thought they needed to be able to present on it. And as we know, if you learn something and then teach somebody else, it solidifies your understanding of the concept anyway. Yeah, right. mm. So allowing these kids to be free reign, not individually, but they were in small groups of about four or five to go out on the computers and understand what they can understand from the internet, they were able to actually get a higher level of understanding than what they would have if they were just taught from the basic curriculum, oh, wow. which is really interesting. Mm. Um, there was another study this this gentleman did about kids understanding computers. So as we know, as a digital native, you've grown up with computers the majority of your life, um, especially kids who are born shortly after us. They probably don't know life without a computer of some description. Yeah, right. They pick up technology insanely fast. Um, I, my uh, my friend has a two year old who can type on a tablet faster than he can write. Jesus, uh, I know, I know, it's insane. Um, and he so he uh, took these took these computers over to rural parts of India where they'd never really seen one, never really played with one, and they put a kind of like a hole in the wall, like an ATM style computer into the wall, and they had like, all these kids at it. They let these kids just play around with it and say, right, just figure out how to use this thing. Um, and within forty eight hours, these kids were completely adapt to it they they understood how to play with it how to install stuff how to uninstall stuff how to hack it go on the internet and do everything just in a collective learning group so it was a group of about 20 kids i like that collective learning group collective learning group that's student-led and just allowed to play and make mistakes and because ultimately there's very little you can do in a computer these days that you can't reverse Mm. and they were just allowed to play and, and go and just just try to understand it and they they did and it just goes to show that 
we've always known that student-led education a lot of the time can be more fruitful for the the person learning because they're learning it for themselves being told something so it kind of comes down to coaching as well in the same way so if someone tells you to do something it's going to go in you'll take it in you'll do it but you might not learn the lessons behind it but if someone coaches out of you to make you understand it and why you need to do it you're going to understand it better and have a better grounding of it within yourself and it kind of works the same for mainstream education if you have to find out this information you understand why it makes sense and it makes sense to you in your relatable head then you're going to have a better grasp of the of the uh the concept yeah totally um so that's that sort of theory he was going down he's looking to just bring more edu- more more student-led technology-based observed education into schools and yeah i think i think it's i i think it's something that you can't deny is already happening the fact that you know computers are everything like like they're everywhere like there's a there's a there's like someone someone said to me the other day that um that uh that data has overtaken oil as the biggest commodity on this planet. A hundred percent. Which is like, oh? So, yeah. So, do, do you know about the Cambridge Analytics scandal? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, so you. scary stuff over in America. And if you actually look at how the most recent election campaign in the UK has gone, and you look at the marketing campaigns, and you look at how it's all been released to the public, I can see very strong trends in what happened there as to what's happened over here. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, interesting, right? So I work for a I work for a, a, tech, a tech firm in the UK, and I've learned a lot about data and what we can see in bloody terms and conditions, man. Mm. So interesting, right? So in the firm that I work for, if we if so if someone uses our software and they're doing all the bits and bobs, and then they go onto a competitor's website uh, looking at their software or looking at their program or whatever we can be notified of that. Hmm. We can find through their cookies because we're allowed to track cookies to see if they've been on a competitor's website. Then that can trigger a marketing campaign to that person to try and make them stay with us, try to make them more loyal. Yeah. We can find out... So in another piece of software that I'm familiar with, when they're using it, the company can physically rewind their screen and see exactly where their mouse went, exactly what clicks they did. And so when they're calling tech support and saying, oh, I'm having a problem doing X, Y, and Z, they can physically see the, the customer's screen of what they were doing to get to that point and why they experienced that issue. Mm. It's it's really big brother, but the worst thing is we agree to it. <laughs> all the terms and conditions, all the cookies, absolutely everything we do, we agree to on a do daily know, basis. Do you know, there's, there's, there's a kid who used to, who still goes to the school I used to work at, and uh, hopefully one day I'm going to get him on the podcast if, if he'll agree to do it. But he he reads the terms and conditions. Of everything he ever done, everything he ever purchased, everything, everything he ever, he he, re- he goes through it and reads it, and he he waged a complete war against Google. Like so, he he's, he's got an amazing thing whereby if people use the term Google as a verb, he will stop them immediately and go, "It's not, it's not just what what are you doing? No, why 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 Google? Why not why not some other search engine? Like he will stop them in their tracks and be like, and 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 for reasons that they're just like." Their, your, your, your kind of privacy is just is non-existent really if, mm. if, if you if you go through there and the algorithms they've got on you and how it all formulates and yeah so everyone's always got a theory that their phone is listening to them mm. that you talk about something to a friend and then it starts popping up with adverts for that thing now I uh, watched a really have you seen it's called the big data conspiracy or something on Netflix it's really really interesting it's okay. saying it's not listening to you just 
people are really predictable. Oh yeah, right. Like yeah, it, we've got patterns. so we've got so much data on the world that if you search this, then you're quite likely to search this coming up next. Yeah. Um, you gen- we tend to ignore ads that aren't relevant to us and it isn't stuff we're talking about or interested in. So they might get it wrong and we just ignore it. But then when it is that thing that we've been talking about because we're we tend to follow patterns where creatures are habit as humans that we're like damn i was just talking about that and now i'm being advertised for it do, 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 do. Yeah. Um, and it's all very much just because we are creatures of habit and you know what? people are like people people in certain area certain age group so for example google will know automatically really really quickly what age i am where i live where i tend to hang out what establishments i go to um what food i'll so if you use Google Pay on your phone, what, what where you shop, um, it tracks where you go, how you drive, all that sort of stuff. Now, if it can know that about me, it can know about that about other people in my demographic that do the same things. It'll know what they tend to search at certain times a day after searching certain things. And that's going to be a massive data set. And if they get it right, 30% of the time, people have been, at least that 30% of the people have been advertised to in the right way and they've got the thing they were looking for straight away now we're quite aware of this like you and i and people that we speak to tend to tend to be quite aware of big data um and there are so if you consider yourself of average intelligence then 50 percent of the world are less intelligent than you are and people will be like oh yeah great i do need that spray bottle i've just yeah. been advertised great happy days yeah. and it's kind of endorsing it because like, oh yeah great they're getting advertising revenue off that and someone's bought that and it's it, it, if it, it's technically working um, I think as we become more more aware of it, or certain people become more aware of it, it kind of seems a bit more like hopefully it'll go away. But ultimately, I don't think it will. No way, man! I can I can just imagine I can just imagine George Orwell sitting in his grave going, "I told you, <laughs> so, I told you." So it recently got banned in the. I actually did a really really. I had to. <laughs> I say interesting. I had to read a really long, <laughs> interesting piece of uh, piece of legislation. Um, on uh, data security and facial recognition. Um, okay. So there was a, a study done. Um, well, not a study, but there was a... In China, for example, in every lamppost, they have facial recognition software. And they can pick up who you are. Um, that's one of the reasons there was this massive riots in Hong Kong that happened recently. Um, China said, no, no, we don't have that technology in Hong Kong. They ripped down a lamppost, and lo and behold, they had that, uh, they had that technology. Now, one of the things they were doing in China in certain areas was... Obviously, you are on Facebook or whatever social media. You allow them to recognize your face, to tag you in photos, because that's nice and innocent and makes it nice and easy for you. I and, think about that, right, yeah. And then you're walking down the street, because in China they have all these back doors from all the software. You're walking down the street. They know what kind of things you've been searching. And the billboards you walk past, from the facial recognition in the lamppost, advertise the things that you'd be seeing on your phone advertising to you. Really? Mm-hmm. They'll recognize who you are, recognize your data oh set, recognize God. what you're interested in, and advertise you as you're walking down the street, which is Bloody insane. Bloody hell. So it's now illegal like in the UK. Level. Oh, it's, li- right. it's illegal in the UK <laughs> as of like six months ago, like <laughs> only fairly recently. They're now no longer to do facial recognition in public spaces. Am I shocked? Am I stunned? Um, I was, it's funny. I. I, I, I do you know what? It doesn't surprise me. Wow, that is something. Mm. You, you also, I can remember you telling me a story about um, about uh, your dad 
uh, or someone you know doing something. Oh, then... in China. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so as I, as I said earlier, I worked, I lived in like a, a, a expat complex and um, one of my friend's dad was, uh, he worked in the German embassy in, in Shanghai. And we got an uh, assignment to go and research different um, like uh, governmental structures and in different countries. And this kid, this German kid, um, was given the, the task of going exploring like communism in China um, and understanding Chinese government. Now in China, all the internet is monitored. Um, if you're watching TV and you're watching an international news channel and there's a bad story about China, your power gets turned off. Really? When the story's finished, power comes back on magically. What? Wonder how that works. Guy in the security room just flipping some switches. Yeah, right. So he does some Googling about, um, sorry, he does some internet searching about, uh, <laughs> uh, he does some internet searching about uh, the, the state of government in China and um, his internet just suddenly shuts off. And then two days later, he gets a knock at the door and these two Chinese government officials come in asking, why, why were you researching about the, the state of government in China? You, you, you work for the embassy, in, 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 for German embassy. Why, why would you be researching that? Obviously, he explains it was just his kid. Um, but it goes to show that Big Brother's always watching. Literally, Big Brother's always um, watching. Yeah. Now, China's kind of another story when it comes to that sort of thing. The government yeah. has a lot of control over what is, what is and what isn't censored and what they, they monitor. And I know that the data laws technically uh, better in the uk but whether that's all followed and adhered to we have to wait and see but yeah that's where there's big concerns over some of the chinese brands like huawei and and things like that and oppo and these other phone brands all produced in china being shipped over here and being used as like mainstream phones because what backdoor stuff are they doing we we just don't know what are they adhering to what are they feeding back to china if data is now the most expensive commodity in the world, it blows my mind. Just even that, even that's a thing. Like, mm. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, Reese Reese told me that like a couple of weeks ago. Or, yeah, whenever he was here, and I was just like, "Whoa, okay, that's that's turned things on on, on, on its head." Like, so, like, like for me, like, yeah. Oil, oil is the is the reason we have all this. You know, it's it's, it's the lubrication, and for something to overtake that as a commodity, it for me is like wow. Like not ooh. only that, but something that's infinite. So oil, there's a finite amount of anything else in the world. There's a finite amount of that around, but data is infinite. You could collect an infinite amount of data sources on an infinite number of scenarios, and just store it and sell it. Mm. So really interesting. Uh, a friend I used to work with, he um, a guy called Rob, he he was anal about his data being sold. He just didn't like it, and I, I get it. So what he did was he had his own server. So it was at robmail dot net or something. And for every account he set up online, he did like Barclays at robmail.net, um, Vodafone at robmail.net. And he's, for everyone, he signed up for a different email address. And he would watch and see what spam he got. And all he would ever use the individual email address for was to sign up for that service. And he was really interested to see where his data went after signing up to different services. Now, banks are really good. Banks don't sell you data. Phone companies are pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. They do sell you data. Internet companies, same sort of thing. And he was just really interested to see that after transactions, where it would go and what spam you would get. Um, as you'd expect, smaller businesses or businesses that te- are on the ropes going out of business tend to sell you data. Um, other businesses don't. This was a few years back, so it might not be the same now, but it was really interesting at the time. He was showing me his, uh, his Vodafone one or EE or whatever it was. And all the spam he got through. And he's like, I've only ever used this email address yeah, to right. sign up for a phone contract. Hmm. Really interesting. I've been, I've, I've been getting, yeah, spat like letters through the door from, from, ver- from like various things. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I didn't really sign up for that. Or 
yeah just like an email so yeah it uh yeah it definitely is a minefield of of, of your, your privacy it's a bit like it's a bit like, it's a bit like your parents kind of like taking down your door when you're a teenager <laughs> yeah there's some degree <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like just that 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 that, le- that level of curtain of like you know this this is now my time is is it's gone. in some cases completely gone. Yeah. So a couple of stories actually I've got about about this. So um, a friend of mine, good dear friend of mine, Ian, he um he doesn't always acquire software in the in doesn't. The, he doesn't always uh, acquire software in the uh, most legitimate of means one could yep. say. And he uh, he Ian's not his Christian name by the way. It's um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeffrey. Yeah, Je- anyway, yeah. So Jeff down the pub. Uh, doesn't always acquire software in the most legitimate of means. And he downloaded a bit of software. Was using it. All fine. Not a problem. And then 48 hours later, he gets a email saying, uh, I've got pictures of you naked. I'm going to leak them to your Facebook if you don't give me £2,000. And he replies going, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, spam. Like, yeah, go ahead. And they sent him a video of himself getting changed in his bedroom through the webcam of his laptop. Whoa. Obviously, they'd embedded something in the software that he downloaded, and he then had a video. Jesus. Now, he was <laughs> ballsy as he is, excuse the pun. He was like, yeah, go ahead. I've got nothing to, nothing to, be, aff- nothing to be ashamed of. And on the high. <laughs> go ahead, upload it to the world. Um, and they just said, touche, and left them alone. But imagine how many vulnerable girls out there that yeah, would right. that would cough up that that five hundred pounds or whatever to make sure that they don't have that leaked to the internet of them getting changed in their bedroom. God, it's it's, it's just such a malicious thing to do to, to 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 prey on someone's insecurity of of privacy and and being naked and and you know. Yeah, scary thing. Yeah. Um, another story, kind of on the flip side, with regards to insecurities and and, and stuff like that. So Facebook, as you might know, um, if you. If you upload any image to Facebook, you no longer have the intellectual property rights to that image. Um, it now belongs to Facebook. Now, there was a story, I believe it was early 2000s, oh, like just not long after Facebook was sort of in, in its like maturity, where a girl put on an image of herself just on Facebook, like you would, um, and Facebook were working with Virgin Atlantic Australia to have an ad campaign. And the ad campaign used this image of this girl that was sold via Facebook um, about this lonely girl who wanted to go on holiday to Australia, um, and she only found out about it this 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 advert campaign when she saw it on TV uh, with her image of Virgin Atlantic Australia trying to sell this this story of this 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 lonely girl who wanted to go and explore the world, and it's just scary that yeah, you don't right. have to ask permission. They, well, they do when you sign the terms and conditions; they ask permission, but. Mm. As we all know, blindly tick, um, and so it's, it's it's a scary thought to think that even if you think that you're being like you turn on all your privacy settings on Facebook, like they recommend you to do, and you put all these things, these safeguards in place to make sure that you don't sort of leak out information that you don't want to, but the, actually the the entity itself can sometimes be the the biggest culprit. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely something to to consider when when you do you know click that terms and condition button or you know share out your information and, and look look after it mm-hmm. um do you want to before we stop do you want to talk a little bit about banger economics because that's just that that had me going a little bit and it's just it's just fabulous yeah so it's called bangonomics sorry um, bangonomics, bangonomics. Yeah. so it's a it's a book that originally came out in 1993 um he's just recently done a uh, a revamped version of it recently and what the whole the whole thought behind bangonomics is um you have thousands of people every year so the average person has a car for three years in the uk and tends to do it through finance and tends to spend anywhere between 150 and 300 pounds a month on a car 
Now, the thought behind Bangonomics is it is much more cost-effective and essentially economical to purchase a car that costs no more than 10% of your yearly salary. So if you earn 20 grand, it's a car that costs you two grand. And you run that car into the ground. So you buy a 10-year-old car that's still looking all right. You do some basic, use some checks that you'd like to do when you do any, buy any used car. Um, and then you run that car up to the point where it has a major fault that's going to cost more than half the price of the car to repair. If it does, you sell the car, use the money that you've got from selling that car, plus the 10% of your salary to buy another car. Now, not only A, are you saving all these broken down vehicles from going to the landfill or being crushed and being sold for, for scrap, you're, for, the, for the money that you would have been spending, so you could spend two grand on a car and it could last you three years without having anything go wrong, even if it's like, like 10 years old or so. Now, in that time, if you're spending £100 a month or £200 a month on finance, that's about, in that three years, that's like £7,200 that you would have spent in that time on that car. Now, the biggest expense for any new car or any car less than three years old is the depreciation and the VAT that you pay on that car. Yeah. So automatically, you're paying 20% VAT on the price of the car and the depreciation can be as high as 50% in the first three years. So ultimately, 70% of what you spent is gone three years later. It also gives you the flexibility of if, for example, you've got this car and it's, it's not really suited to your needs anymore and it, it does come across a problem in a couple of years' time, you've not spent all that money over that period of time and you can change it up. You can have the flexibility to, oh, I've got a coupe today, which is great. I can drive fast and have a, have a wonderful time and, oh, bugger, i got a baby on the way. I need to get myself a family car. You can do that without having to have massive debt or massive expense. Yeah, right. um, and the, the whole theory can be applied to not just cars, but other things as well. So another thing that it, it kind of works for is things like mobile phones. Now, mobile phones, people tend to have for two years, which is the length of their contract, and then they can upgrade. And realistically, you look at a phone today, and you look at a phone that's two years old, they call, they make texts, they search the internet, you can install the same apps, they can do absolutely the same thing. Maybe not in as much comfort, like you'd say in the style of a car, or with the same speed, like in the style of a car, but it essentially does the same thing. Now, instead of, instead of spending, for example, 50 pounds a month on a phone, you can spend a tenner a month on a SIM card for the same amount of data, buy a phone for 200 quid, 300 quid, which most two-year-old phones that were flagships at the time are going to cost you. Ultimately, you've saved yourself about £1,000 over the course of two years for a phone that's absolutely fine, it does the job, and you're kind of saving stuff going to landfill anyway because how many people just chuck their phone out when they're done with it? And 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 how many people are just completely sucked into the oh it's the new one it's the new iPhone it's the new Nissan it's the new such and such I need to have that new thing do you really yeah. do you actually need to have that new thing or could you just get something that was a couple of years old that's still in circulation the updates still work and in turn save yourself money save the planet money because that's already in production I mean it's just a no brainer is it but 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 people are so attached to that oh it's the new one I need to get the new one because you know Sally's going to have the new one and if Sally's got the new one I've got the new one and I'm going to look stupid like an idiot because you know I really need that new one and John's going to have the new car and yeah keeping up with the Joneses literally keeping up with Joneses isn't it? yeah yeah so there's an, an interesting theory on that as well actually so as evolutionary creatures Obviously, we've grown up over millennia of, of, or millions of years as growing up as humans. Now, it's safe to say that back in the day, we weren't the top of the food chain. 
Mm. We were very much eaten by lions, tigers, bears, all that fun stuff. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then one day we evolved, and we are now not hunted in the same way that we once were. Now, through the time of when we were sort of lower down on the food chain, we'd always have to improve our own environment to make sure that we were safe and we were secure, and we weren't going to eat and get eaten by a bear. Now, now that we've evolved out of that. We still feel like we need to improve our environment in every step of the way. It's why people feel like they never have a big enough house, or feel like they never have a nice enough car, or they don't have the best tech. They feel like they still need to constantly grow on that because they need to improve their own environment for their own safety and security, and that can come down to an evolutionary level.、Mm. It's also one of the reasons why people struggle to feel contentment at times because they feel like they need to be upgrading, they need to be going for the better thing, they need to be striving for more. Well, ultimately, a good proportion of the, the population could be quite happy, quite content, and continue to live the rest of their life with the, within their current means. But due to this, either keeping up with the Joneses, this evolutionary factor, a combination of multiple things, they feel like they need to keep striving forward for bigger, better, brighter, newer. Was it bigger, better, wider, warmer? <laughs> I think the sun's on my side today. I got a lease of life. I feel okay. Need to call around, get 'em all out, jump in the car and get on the way. 'Cause there's love and there's strength in numbers. They can try, but they're never gonna run us down. Down. Speakers loud, it's like we're on a come up. Fifth gear, but they're never gonna race us down. Keep it real. 